This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. I want to take a moment to say I hope you are safe and healthy. Thank you for tuning in to this hour of togetherness where we discuss what unites rather than divides us. Coming up, an interview with Emma Glass, author of Rest and Be Thankful. It almost felt like I had some penance to pay for for having gone off and enjoyed myself for the first three years in my literature degree, you know, just just got to party and make friends and read books. We'll be back with Emma Glass in just a bit. Hi, listeners. It's me, Mitzi, your host and producer. Do you know over the last seven plus years, I've produced more than 320 interviews That means if you start listening to One a Day right now, I can catch up. And by the end of the year, you will have listened to One a Day. Because I'm committed to 40 interviews a year. But this year, I produced 51. And guess what? It's a colossal effort. I mean, gargantuan. I read a book a week, research the author, set up the interview, conduct the interview, and edit the show every single week. With a staff consisting of me. And please know, it is indeed a labor of love. But it is also a labor. I emphatically believe that what I do, that what we create, the writers and I and you the listener, matters. There's an alchemy that happens with every single interview. Please consider becoming a contributing member by donating at patreon.com slash First Draft Writers. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash First Draft Writers. You can give any amount, but starting with $6 a month, you will receive extras from the show, including ad-free, pitch-free episodes, cuts that didn't make it into the final show, writing tips, and more. I assure you, even $6 a month makes a huge difference to me and the production of this show. Each Patreon member keeps this show going, and it's here because of others like you who transformed from listener to supporter. It's such an amazing and simple way to continue discussions like the one you're about to hear. I believe that conversations about art and craft make life better, especially now when we are missing so much human connection. So whether this is your first listening experience or you have caught the more than 320 produced episodes, I am asking you with humbleness and appreciation and a lot of vulnerability if you would consider supporting First Draft as a donating member. It's important to me to produce interviews with diverse writers and sometimes on difficult topics, which dependably add up to conversations which focus on what it means to be alive today. I put so much care and effort into this show, and I hope you can tell with every question I ask. And it takes money and time and equipment and organization and more late nights than you can imagine and a lot of heart and sweat to come to fruition each week. I know there is so much free content out there. In fact, what you're about to listen to is free, but it is not without expense to make. Please beat the odds of having to listen to this pitch seven times before you join the First Draft community. Go to patreon.com slash first draft writers. 
Please stay tuned at the end of the show. I'll offer recommendations on an episode in the archive that is similar to the one you're about to hear. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell your friends to subscribe. In fact, tell everyone you know to subscribe, even your frenemies. And thank you for your support and for being here with me today, right now, in this moment. And on to the show. My guest today is writer and pediatric nurse Emma Glass. Her novels include Rest and Be Thankful and Peach, which was long listed for the International Dylan Thomas Prize and was translated into seven languages. Glass works as a nurse at Evelina London Children's Hospital in London and grew up in Wales. She studied creative writing and literature in college, but after graduating and realizing there was no clear career path and no certainty of income, she went back to school to become a nurse, but still wrote on the side. Her novel Rest and Be Thankful is about a pediatric nurse named Laura, who is overworked, stressed, tired, and living on the edge, particularly because of the high demands of her work and the disintegration of her relationship. Laura is approaching burnout, and even when she sleeps, her dreams, largely of water and sinking, haunt her. In her waking hours, she is seeing a dark figure out of the corner of her eye, but not sure if it's real or not. We began the discussion with Emma Glass talking about her nursing career. So I started my uh, my nurse training in adult nursing because it was the only course I could get on to, really. <laughs> I never really liked children. I never thought, I never really could see myself working with, with children. Um, and after a few months of working on adult wards, I really liked it, but it really took its toll. Um, I didn't, I don't have children, um, but I could only really see the adults that I was nursing, particularly in stroke and elderly care. I, 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 I felt much more connected to those people. They reminded me of my grandparents. Um, and I found that really hard every time there was a, there was a death or I became close to, to a patient. Um, it, it took its emotional toll. Uh, I did a, a day placement on, on the pediatric unit and just loved it and just felt such a lightness and um, familiarity and also an ability to be creative with the children. You know, I, I immediately felt like I was drawing on skills that I'd developed through my writing degree because um, communi- communicating with children is, is ba- you know, for anything is basically storytelling, particularly when you're trying to get them to do things they don't, they don't want to do. Um, and so I transferred to pediatric nursing and, I, and, and then qualified as a pediatric nurse. And I've been working as a qualified pediatric nurse now for, for, for 10 years. So Rest and Be Thankful is about a young pediatric nurse. Her name is Laura. And she's sort of in a fever dream, I would say. At least that's sort of the tone of it, where it opens and she's in the pediatric ward and she's working on a young baby who's basically certain um, down a path towards death. And she is, her relationship is falling apart. She has these really intense dreams at night, like she's like drowning or floating or under ice and she's kind of seeing things. And so she's, you know, it's like almost like an altered state. So I'm wondering a little bit about what you were thinking about and also what it was like to then really be writing about what you do every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so 
the, the story came about actually, um, very, the idea of the story came about very early on in my nursing career when I moved to London for the first time and took my first job as a newly qualified nurse. I was being inducted to the hospital, you know, we have um, the orientation week or so. And um, the, the first day was uh, a lecture format, which was not really what I was expecting, but obviously they explain um, how the hospital works, the history of the hospital. And when they was explaining the history of the hospital, this really bizarre story was told and I sort of had to check in with other people in the room to make sure that I had heard what what I thought I had heard and they basically told this um this story so the hospital that that I'm talking about um was built in the Victorian times and um it's a really old but very beautiful historical um building in in Bloomsbury and um the, the story was about this um, this nurse in the Victorian times who was working a night shift and um, she was feeding a baby on the night shift and she fell asleep and dropped the baby and the baby died and she couldn't live with herself. Uh, she couldn't get over the guilt um, of what she'd done. So she she threw herself off the top of a stairwell in the, the old nurse's home um, and the the sort of the legend behind the story is that um, her her ghost has has been said to be seen by by lots of nurses working in the hospital, and they see her figure walking through the wards at night. And some nurses have said that they have um, felt a pinch on the shoulder um, in the middle of the night, uh, almost to wake them wake them up if they're if they're falling asleep and. And they they relate it back to to this story of this nurse, almost that she's she's pinching them to make sure that they don't make the same mistake um, that she did. And they told me this in my in my induction, and I I hadn't really been, I you know I, I assumed it was just part of, of of the folklore. I mean, nurses are are quite superstitious by nature, um, but that story really stuck with me. Um, and I knew that I wanted to write about, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to write about it. I'm quite obsessed with with ghost stories. I don't really believe in ghosts, I'll say. Um, but I, I, you know, I like supernatural films. I love, I love supernatural literature. And I wanted to, my whole aim, I remember thinking, what, what's the aim of this story? There has to be a reason. What am I trying to do here? And I was trying, believe it or not, to write the scariest ghost story I could. Um, but actually what came out was uh, an outpouring of grief um, and my own experiences with insomnia, which I, I suffered with quite a lot um, when I was younger. And then actually nursing was the thing that cured my insomnia because of the shift work. You have to get used to, to, to sleeping when you can. And it sort of knocked me out of, of, of this... Um, horrible cycle of insomnia I mean in its own ways it it it, it, it brought back um some insomnia because of the patterns I was working at the time but um now that I, now now that I work um sort of reg more regular shifts I sleep like a baby <laughs> but what I was really trying to do with this with this story I guess is um you know a, a few things the 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 ghost element the ghostly elements aside, I wanted to try and um, give a little glimpse 
little photographs of, of what it's like to be what it's like to be a nurse. Um, in in the UK, we've got the National Health Service, and it's often uh, highly criticised in the media. And there's often lots of um, stories about nurses and you know poor standards of care. We never ever seem to get um, glimpses of you know what, what it's fundamentally like to to, to go and and work those shifts and be with those people. One of the things I love about being a children's nurse is that from the minute you meet your patient, you are given access to a family, um, you know, a family's love. You work with people at at their most vulnerable and you are sort of um, implicitly trusted from the moment that you meet them. And to be in that position is such a privilege um it's a gift and although in the in the story things don't work out too well for Laura what I wanted to try and do is show the commitment that nurses have to providing um you know a level of tenderness and a level of um um of trust that very few people understand unless they're in that position but of course then with that with that level of commitment um, and, and, you know, that, that, that when, when nurses give their all, that, that there has to be, um, there has to be payment for that in some, in some way. Um, it's not a sustainable, it's not a sustainable way to live your life, to be fully, you know, sacrificing yourself for others. There, there has to be some, some cracks and we see the cracks through, her breakdown with her relationship and then also the cracks um, that appear later on um, in, in, in the novel where where the mistakes get made. Um, so that's sort of really the background behind the book. It was really strange having to um, think about the language of nursing um, in order to to convey what, what what the tasks of nursing are, what the technicalities of it are. Um, we're terrible for jargon. I get told off all the time for, you know, abbreviating things and expecting people to know what I'm talking about, um, particularly in my current role where, you know, I'm, I'm talking about um, you know, various different, we, we abbreviate everything to try and keep some confidentiality to, to what we're discussing, um, particularly in a big, busy trauma centre. But um, to try and break down the language that I use on a day-to-day basis and and to try and, and display that to um, a readership that perhaps wouldn't have uh, that, that that inside knowledge or that background, that for me was, was probably one of the most challenging bits of, 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 of the writing process of trying to make sure that the language was, was really accessible, but also went into the level of detail that really showed what it's like to, to provide care to, to, um, to children in a, in, a, in a high dependency unit. How did it affect your mind frame of, you know, these, these split shifts or, or, or crazy times of shifts that you do and um, working so hard and to be writing about someone who's kind of at, at the edge because she hasn't slept and because of what she's seeing um, in her, her reality every day feelings. Like, did it impact you? Yes, it, it actually brought back a lot of feelings that I think I repressed when I first uh, when I took my first job. Um, 
I I wrote I wrote Rest and Be Thankful. It's it's getting on on two years now, and the um, the ward that I'm describing um, in the novel I had you know haven't worked there for for six or so years, and and it really took me back to um, this moment where. I realized, and I've only sort of, re- I've only come to terms with it and realized it this year, um, that actually what I was experiencing then and and sort of what I experienced, you know, on this side of the pandemic is burnout. And it really surprised me to come to that, to that realization. <laughs> I was working um, uh, on a unit that dealt with children um, who had cancer and, you know, sort of weird immunological conditions and these were children that were really kind of um at very crucial stages in in their treatment um the unit that I worked on also gave bone marrow transplant and so the the children were in isolation for very very long periods of time receiving you know really kind of high dependency type treatments and became very very sick and indeed some of them did pass away which was really challenging um um, to kind of come to terms with as a newly qualified nurse. My, I, I did that job for two years, but then moved to um, uh, a general pediatric outpatient clinic in a different hospital just to try and give myself some breathing space from sort of a higher intensity of nursing. Um, that in itself had its own challenges, um, but I was taking a bit of a step back in order to, I guess, um, replenish my stores you know I I, it it took a lot out of me um and I wanted to make sure that I had enough um energy in order to continue my nursing career so it was taking a step back and then I went you know done sort of lots of different nursing roles over the years but the job that I do now is sort of most closely aligned to the job that I did then and so having this period of being quite distant from that intensity and being able to reflect on it and, and, and write about it, you know, for me, that was kind of putting it in its box and, and dealing with the emotions that I never really quite dealt with during that period of my life. But for now, the, the, the book to come out at this time where I'm going through a similar sort of cycle of, of high-intensity nursing, it's coming back to me and I'm starting to realise that, you know, I'm coming back to a place where if I'm not careful and if I don't look after myself, I'll, I'll go back through another period of burnout. What I don't want to do is, 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 is sort of um, suggest that, you know, all of nursing is like this. It's very much not. Um, I think we're in a really unique, uh, unique time where the the pandemic has, has put some extra challenges, um, challenges in in place. But I think remembering how things were for me then, compared to the nurse I am now, it's a very different situation. I'm far more resilient and far more experienced. You know, unlike Laura, who's sort of new to it and and takes everything to heart, I now have um, better better ways of coping with with the pressure and and and, and dealing with uh, dealing with the intensity but but writing this book and then you know doing interviews like this and and talking about it and you know having to to go over some of it in my mind and reread it um, I, I feel a lot of, of of love for the feelings that I had then you know that um, it, it 
pediatric nursing is, is so special and I can't emphasize how privileged I am to, to, be, to be a pediatric nurse. Um, and have those moments of intimacy and, and, and build those sort of professional relationships with families. It's, it's a really wonderful thing, but it's, it's something that I think, you know, I need to approach steadily um, if I'm going to, to carry on doing this for, for, for my working life. So tell me a little bit more about Laura and the main character and crafting her and, and what you wanted her to sort of exemplify She's named Laura uh, after, well, firstly, I, <laughs> I work with lots and lots of Lauras. There are, there are sort of names that, that crop up. Um, I guess maybe it's just, I guess it's just, you know, working and, and living where I am, sort of demographics of, of, of London. But I've encountered many actual Lauras <laughs> in, my, in my nursing career. And, and it felt like um, a really nice sort of everyman name um but it's also inspired by um a song by an artist called bat for lashes um her song is called laura and it's about um a very strong woman um who pushes herself um but is also very fragile and vulnerable and um i think for me the song is about people not understanding the vulnerability um and seeing this this you know very competent and strong woman but not really seeing her value. I wanted her to be on the edge of something. You know, I wanted to, her to, to have that vulnerability and be raw, but still be able to continually give out, you know, continually give um, give tenderness and kindness and, and, and really care. Um, but for me, it's also her symbolizing how close to the edge we, we always are. Um, you know, I, I, I think she, she's, she's fragile. Um, she's underappreciated. She's exhausted. And she's so far from any kind of, um, you know, familiar love and affection. What she really needs is a hug um, and a holiday. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, she's a, for me, she, she's, she's a hero. Um a haunted one and she exemplifies everything that we need to look after within our health services in order to 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 keep them going you know without her that without her it doesn't work um the children don't get the care so throughout the plot you have uh, you know several things going on you have her relationship falling apart you have scenes where she's communicating with the parents of these children communicating with other nurses maybe um, traveling back and forth to work. She has to find a new apartment. There's a point where she goes into the chapel of the hospital, which I really liked. They had like stuffed bears everywhere. And she's just kind of trying to take a moment and regroup. And I'm wondering if there's any of those elements that you want to talk about and or if one of those was harder to really write than than the others. Yeah, um, it's kind of... It's very much fiction. Um, I must say that explicitly. It's fiction, um, but of course, it's 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 drawn from my experiences and it's it's drawn from a period of my life that I really struggled through. I didn't really realize I was struggling through it until you know years later and new relationships and and new jobs and kind of a new mindset. But um, the 
the thing about the dreams, what I was trying to do with this sort of almost like the dream sections of the book um, is to try and, try and bring in some of my really horrible true life experiences. Um, and that's one of the things I really enjoyed reading about some of the reviews of the book, um, you know, about how fantastical some of those dream sequences are. And actually, I really just kind of want to write to the reviewer and say, actually, that really happened. Um, so the thing that I really um I feel kind of strange about saying, but um, I think it's really funny. So I have to share this. The 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 part where she's running through, um, she's on her on her run and she's running through the woods and and she's attacked by a crow. Um, that actually happened to me, and it was such a bizarre experience that I really just wanted to weave it into the book in some way. Um, but almost you know, almost framed the frame that exactly happened to me when I was running one day on Hampstead Heath and I had to go to the emergency department of the hospital there to get a tetanus shot. Um, and when I was, uh, when I was getting the, getting the tetanus shot, the, um, the doctors were, were sort of laughing at me and said they hadn't, they'd experienced a lot working in a, in a London hospital, but they'd not really experienced that many, um, bird attacks and and one of them said that they thought that my hair had perhaps attracted the bird and and thought that I had really rather shiny plumage <laughs> so, so that so that always kind of makes me laugh I like that I like that little anecdote um but the, you know that there's there's a bit um one of the things uh that that was really hard to write were was the um the very brief kind of um fleeting phone calls she has with Laura has with her her family and and the references to her her dad and her parents being quite far away you know that's sort of that's sort of where, where I'm at my, my parents live very far away and and it always feels quite difficult to um you know to contact them at the right time to to be able to set aside time to to you know to be with family and 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 speak to family um and they're a real lifeline for Laura uh, as as they have been been for me throughout my whole life um but the the drowning sequence as well that that dream um where she's in the waves is <laughs> another thing that happened to me um you know so I'm trying to pick out these these kind of traumatic moments in order to make the the trauma feel true and real for her um I guess the stuff in the hospital you know the 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 the, the characters in, in the book the patients they um each have elements of, of of children that I've that I've nursed and you know some of the exchanges have been um based on 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 real exchanges but again I'm trying to to pull out some authenticity there um the bits that were really hard to write were um you know the the communications with the the mother whose whose child is is dying because you know I have to draw on on these memories of of those kinds of conversations and and they're they're never easy conversations to have at the time but to sort of rake through them again and 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 draw them out in in a way that will will speak to people um you know that 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 was quite difficult um but felt felt necessary and what happened to you in the waves was it the exact same thing and do you want to share, <laughs> share? <laughs> i was on holiday um with my with my parents and my sister in greece um i must have been about 
13, I think. And I've always loved the water, but I'm not a strong swimmer. I've never been a strong swimmer. My, my dad's a really strong swimmer. Um, he did a lot of water sports uh, when he was a young man. And so we, we, we swim in the sea together. And my, my mother loves the sun, so she laid herself out on the sand and um we were just swimming we were just having a good time and we we went out quite far and didn't quite realize that the current had swept us um we're really far along the beach and I just became so tired so quickly and I think my dad only realized sort of at the last minute how big the waves were getting. And so we were turning on our way to turn back to swim inwards. And this wave just came and 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 just, I don't know, just kept slapping me in the face like this wall of water kept pushing me um, down and down. And um, I don't think I was under for, for very long, but long enough to, you know, get those little colored spots that you get in front of your eyes when you're really tired. And it just felt really quiet and peaceful. And I don't think I really thought about it, but I, I I sort of have a vague memory of thinking, if this is it, there's so much more to do. And at that point, my sister grabbed me. <laughs> um, but the scary thing was when I got, you know, sort of got my head above water again, my my, my dad was screaming um, for help. And that that's the thing that 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 was really hard when we got back to the beach and my, my mother just sort of sat up and was like oh what happened I thought you guys were waving and my dad was just kind of like furiously <laughs> shouting we nearly lost her um but you know it was it was fine when we 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 got we got back to the hotel and uh, our apartment was um near the swim, swimming pool and as we were walking by my dad just shoved me <laughs> shoved me in the water <laughs> said if you don't get back in now you'll never get back in again and and of course he was right and um and now I I continue to love swimming in the sea but <laughs> I'm a little more cautious but yeah nothing quite like a near death experience to um to provide some inspiration. <laughs> in the book, and, and I suppose in the hospital too, the chapel plays a role. Laura does go in there um, after one of the babies dies and and leaves when some parents come in. But I'm, I'm curious about the real chapel maybe at your hospital and if you find any solace there and, and maybe the role that it plays when there are deaths happening around you yeah it's um the 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 chapel that i write about is 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 real it's um it's a place in in the hospital that i first worked at um and it is full of of these little stuffed animals um and it's tiny you know it's a really small but beautiful space with with stained glass windows um i I think what I would like to write about more in the future is um, is sort of my relationship with religion. I was brought up uh, as a Christian and went to Sunday school and, and all of that. And my parents aren't particularly religious, but we like this sort of routine of, of attending church um, every Sunday. And I, I, you know, I must admit, it's it's not something that I, I do now. I sort of, I have faith Um but I, I have, I have questions, <laughs> as I think most most adults do, um, most children do actually. But um, 
having experienced, you know, very, very kind of little death um, through my life until until going to this particular um, hospital and working within, you know, oncology and, and immunology, you sort of unfortunately do do have more exposure to to death than than some other places. You know, most ninety percent of of, of 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 the children that I nursed were well and they went on to be well, but the that small percentage of children that that didn't survive, you know, that that really takes it, it its toll. Um, you know, you spend you spend more of your waking life with these with these families than you do with your own family. And so of course you become, you know, you become close and you become invested. Um, uh, invested in them and for me go being able to to go down to uh, a quiet place and and be able to just sort of not necessarily pray but be able to reflect um and write down some some words in in a memory book that that really sort of um really helped me in that particular period of my life um, the hospitals that I've I've worked in since don't don't anywhere near have as beautiful a beautiful place. So you know I don't. Um, and I work in a very different environment now, so I don't feel the need to 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 have you know to cling on to faith in 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 that way. You know I I still still say prayers and I still think about um, you know still think about these patients all the time. But um, it's a little bit more removed, but it was really um, a really powerful thing to be able to go and take solace in a place, you know, just dedicated to memory. And, it, I, you know, I, I use a fair bit of artistic license in the novel, you know, it's um, <laughs> the spider thing and then and the dust and the cobwebs. It's not like that. It's a really bright and warm and lovely, joyful place. But um, I, I guess what I was trying to, to do there is, is demonstrate the loss um, you know the greatness of the loss um, that that those that those wards have seen over the years. You, you mentioned earlier that some reviewers said it was like overwritten, and I would yeah. say that it's it's very lush writing, but I think that the details are spare. Like you, you're offering a space between the page and the reader for them to sort of piece things together. So yeah. that's kind of my, how I, my read of it and my characterization of it. But I'm wondering if, if reading those, how, how that made you feel reading reviews like that? Oh, I should never read reviews. I get so offended. <laughs> um, I feel really lucky that the, that the majority um, of the reviews have been, been quite positive. People have been very receptive and I, I I sort of wonder if that's because of of the place we find ourselves in right now you know mid pandemic and um kind of highlighting um the the courage and exhaustion that nurses have, uh, you know have and take on um in order to to look after who we need to look after but um i I think um you know you know I was saying earlier about um how the press uh, talk about the health service and and how how often they um, reveal just just the bad parts and you know of course they have to they have to put that into um, you know societal consciousness you know we must be aware of 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 failings and and things that need improving but 
I always feel like nurses get the raw end of the deal. And so then when a reviewer who's who's reading my work comes along and, and you know says something like, oh well, she's you know, she's totally overegged that, or there's no, you know, that there's no authenticity in that because um it's so overwrought, I get really upset because I feel like again I'm being <laughs> misunderstood. But but as a writer, but of course, you know, I appreciate everyone's entitled to their opinion and it's, this for me is in, in, in no way a perfect work you know I'm, I'm I'm two books into what I hope will be a, a long writing career and you know I've got I've got so much more to learn and show so much more to improve upon and you know there's a lot of artistic license as I said in in the writing you know it's it it is um it is exacerbated but one of the reasons why I pick short form is because I, I want to pack it all in I want it to be in have an impact and and feel almost you know I want to bring readers into this claustrophobic realm so that it's an experience you know it's it's not just a story it's an experience let's go further with these wonderful words that we have um in order to bring people into a world that they they would never experience before um but I need to get better at taking constructive feedback (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I need to, to to not let these things bother me so much. Otherwise, I'll never put anything out there artistically again. <laughs> Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer? I wondered if you would allow me to read a poem. Um, it's a it's a poem by Jen, Jared Manley Hopkins, uh, who is a Victorian poet. Um and it's a, a poem called Carrying Comfort. And the reason why I, I chose this um, is because I only really realized quite recently the impact it's had on me as, as a writer. I read this when I was um, studying for my literature degree um, and I didn't particularly like it then. And, and I'm not sure I particularly like it now, um, but it sort of encompasses um, things that I'm, interested in 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 writing about in the future not i'll not carry in comfort despair not feast on thee not untwist slack they may be these last strands of man in me or most weary cry i can no more i can can something hope wish day come not choose not to be but ah but oh thou terrible why wouldst thou rude on me? Thy ring world, right foot rock, lay a lion limb against me, scan with darksome devouring eyes my bruised bones, and fan, oh, in turns of tempest, we heat, me heat there, me frantic to avoid thee and flee. Why, that my chaff might fly, my grain lie, sheer and clear, nay, in all that toil, that coil, since seems I kissed the rod, Hand rather, my heart low lapsed strength, stole joy, would laugh, cheer. Cheer whom though, the hero whose heaven handling flung me, foot trod me, or me that fought him, or which one? Is it each one, that night, that year, of now done darkness, I wretch, lay wrestling with my God, my God. So this is like a really (laughs) um, Jesuit priest poem. Um, Jared Manley Hopkins was um, a really wonderful poet, but he then turned to the church, and um, I, 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 I find what he's bringing. Uh, I mean, I love the language um, 
the rhyme and kind of how you you kind of go up and down with his breaths but um he's talking about despair um and for me that despair is 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 often you know is, is a feeling that I encounter almost daily um when faced with making these kind of really serious important clinical decisions and you know sometimes not having the resources or the backing or um you know anything that I that I, I really need to to be able to kind of progress um progress patients care and and but it but it also it encompasses the emotional labor um that that nurses can feel and you know I sort of feel like I touch on on those sorts of themes in rest to be thankful but they're things that I want to concentrate more further um want to concentrate more on in the in the future because um for me it's about being able to get get to a place where you can you can work and you know devote yourself and commit yourself but also be able to take a step back and and live kind of a normal life and enjoy life you know um so I hope that sort of fits the bill <laughs> but I, I I also um understand that that's quite an quite an odd choice for me to read <laughs> uh, and, and and poetry is, is something that I really love but but never really understand um and something I wish I was was I wish I could be more clever to understand um, poetry, but uh, I was thinking about that poem um, not so long ago, and I, I, I thought I'd share it with you. Thanks for sharing it. I've never heard it before. Can you read something you wrote? Maybe it was tricky or hard or changed a lot from the first draft. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've picked a bit of a, a short story um, that I sort of wrote as, as, as an exercise. Um, whenever I finish... A novel, I, I, I feel drained and unable to, to do any writing for a long time. You know, there's sort of a, a recovery period. And I like to, um, you know, test test myself when I'm feeling uh, re, re-energized by, by writing um, little short stories. Um, and I think this is a little bit of a hangover um, of rest and be thankful because it, it's um, a short story about a car accident that I had when I was a teenager. I, I, under, it, I understand I've already talked about a couple of um, <laughs> near-death experiences and I really hope that I don't have any more but um, there's a, I had a, a car accident um, and I'm still so shocked that um, I made it out alive very unscathed uh, with a group of friends and I wanted to write um, uh, this story about how that car accident impacted on on the friendship I had um, with with the with the, the people in the car um, and sort of it, it sort of tells the story of three different um, alternative endings so this is consensus soil in our eyes soil in our mouths we recoil we recoil Our bones break under the weight of the stones. This is not how we should end. This is not the end. The funeral is too much. It is a bad idea to say goodbye to them all together. Four coffins wheeled into the church on trolleys. Plenty of people, too many people, but nobody nobody has the strength to shoulder their weight. Their mothers are wailing. Their fathers are standing, red-faced and puffing, pushing their chests out as far as they can go, shielding their broken hearts. 
it goes on too long. Someone sings songs about them being in the arms of angels, their youth running out, all things bright and beautiful. It ends with prayers to bind them. The wake is held at the local rugby club. The mothers grip onto each other, grip the stems of the wine glasses filled with vodka orange juice, wipe their eyes with balled up tissues. The fathers stand up, stand far apart at the bar drinking pints. One father, six lagers in, grabs the collar of one of the other fathers saying, your son did this, your son took my baby girl away, my baby girl. Everyone looks away, lets them get on with it. No one says that this is not true. There are cold sausage rolls on silver foil tray, trays and bad sandwiches. The other kids are outside smoking, swigging from cans, saying, thank God it wasn't us, thank God. The community rips like the photos torn from the pages of the local newspaper. They use a good one of the girl, stretch it large across the front page and write the story continued on page five, where they put three much smaller photos of the boys. For the photo of the boy who was driving, they use a selfie and this feels wrong. He was feeling good that day, has a big grin on his face. And because of the grin, because of those luminous white teeth showing, he looks guilty as hell. We think about what happened over and over. We shift in the ground. Dirt sifts around us. Sifts around us. Worms crawl over our wooden boxes. We tap against the lids with our freeing fingertips. Um, this this short story, um, I, I I like I said earlier on, I, I tend to edit each sentence as I go along. I don't tend to move on to the next one until I'm fully happy. Um, but this one was slightly different. This one just kind of came out. Um, it's it's really short. It's only two thousand five hundred words, but I think I wrote double that and then peeled it right back. And so the the first bit is is showing the outcome of of, of the car accident where the teenagers um, die, but then it goes on to um, the next bit where they're all just badly injured and 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 the final one is when they all just walk away but walk away um unscathed but their complete friendship just breaks right down and um but they walk away with with sort of no hard feelings um which is how it ends um but this this writing makes me feel so uncomfortable <laughs> because this bit that you know this hasn't really been um seen or, or or read by many other people and and um you know this is where I, I I kind of recoil into myself and say I'm not a writer I'm just having a go you know I'm just <laughs> I'm a bit of a chancer um <laughs> uh, but but something that I do just just for my own enjoyment I guess where do you write um so I have a little desk in my flat um or had a little desk in my flat but we, we just moved. Um, and so I don't really have a desk right now. And I find that quite difficult. So I've been writing on the bus um, on my mobile phone, which is really weird for me. Um, but I'm seeing it as a good sign. Like I'm, like I'm wanting to get stuff down no matter where I am or what I'm doing. I, I normally have my ritual. I have my desk and I spend ages um, 
lining everything up and making sure my pencil is sharpened and I'll, I'll go and make a cup of tea and then I'll make another cup of tea and I won't actually get any writing done at all but I really like the ritual of having a, a little space that I can sit down and sort of say this is me this is my writing time um but at the moment things are much more kind of on the fly you know I, I haven't been able to um go into a coffee shop because of, of, of the pandemic recently. And we've, we've been in, in quite a severe lockdown, but, you know, I, I like to write where there are other people sometimes, you know, to get, to get um, music in my head and the sounds of what's going on around me. So I'm interested to see what, what I come up with next because my, my writing pattern is sort of all over the place. I wonder what the, the bus tales are, go are going to turn into. It's quite exciting. What do you do or where do you go to get away from writing? Um, work, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's kind of the place where I can not think about anything at all other than what's directly in front of me, which is normally something um, really urgent and sometimes bleeding. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I guess work. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm not always thinking about about writing when I'm not at work. I, I'm a big pro procrastinator. Um, uh, so, you know, any, any excuse, I, I like to just watch TV sometimes. <laughs> Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? I'm really, really lucky. Um, I have a, a writing group made up of, of friends from, um, from university um, and also just some some friends that we picked up along the way um, and we have a, um, a little structure where we workshop each other's writing um, so they're generally my my first readers um, if I've got something to a place where I am quite happy with it and it feels complete then I'll show I'll, I'll show my mother um, she loves reading um, but doesn't She's very careful not to express any opinions in case I get upset. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, I send my writing to her for my for a little confidence boost because she's my mom, so I know she'll have to tell me it's good. <laughs> um, but I'll also share it with with my boyfriend, who's much more. Um, uh, he he's a he's a he's a newsreader um, and a political writer, so he he's a lot more measured. Um, and 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 will be sort of um, more constructive about about the work. How have you dealt with rejection? Oh, I don't deal with rejection very well. Um, it's 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 still such a personal thing, isn't it? I guess for all for all writers, um, but for me, the, the kinds of things I write about, uh, you know, they're always very close to my own bones and, and, and very emotive. So if somebody doesn't, doesn't like it, uh, you know, I, 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 I recoil. Um, I, I feel quite lucky in the way that I came to, um, to getting my work published. Uh, I, 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 I felt like I, I sort of, um, was lucky in the sense that I, I went and, and had a, a conversation. I, I, I guess at the time it, it felt like a job interview, but I didn't. I didn't. Um, I haven't yet had to get a letter or an email that says thanks, but no thanks. I guess uh, I, I spend enough time <laughs> rejecting my own ideas on a daily basis. Um, but no, I mean, you know, we all just want to be. Uh, when I say we all, 
writers just want to be read and 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 they want they want people to respond to their work and and I guess even the negative responses um have a really important place in in how we how we grow as as writers um I sort of just wish people would be a little bit kinder sometimes the the worst place to get feedback from for anything is is goodreads or amazon reviews so I I avoid those as much as possible <laughs> and what is your favorite word oh it's probably conundrum <laughs> I just really like how that sounds conundrum uh, I don't really like what it means um it stresses me out I'm a processes person. I like to have a plan. Um, but conundrum is just a fun thing. And actually it's something that I <laughs> something that I, I do when when I'm looking after patients. Um, I like to pick words that that have these lovely um, sounds to them that that children can kind of um, you know pick up on. There's nothing sweeter than hearing a five year old saying conundrum. <laughs> And then, you know, what's that mean? <laughs> yeah, I like that one. And I, I often will just say, it just means you're in a bit of a pickle. Well, thank you so much for your time and your honesty and the discussion. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed the talk. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing. My guest was Emma Glass, author of the novel Rest and Be Thankful. If you like today's show, check out my interview with Deborah Levy, whose novel, The Man Who Saw Everything, is also a dreamlike telling of a man who is searching to discover who he really is. You can find that interview and the entire First Draft archive of more than 300 interviews at firstdraftwriters.com. You can stay tuned to First Draft on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for First Draft A-D-O-W. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com anytime. Remember, there are plenty of extras for becoming a member and donating to First Draft, including access to pitch-free, ad-free content, as well as cuts from the interviews that didn't make it into the final show, writing tips from my guests, books, and more. I can't tell you enough how much each and every single dollar counts to keeping this show alive. The first tier of support is just $6 a month. So please go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. I want to send out a huge thank you to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. Please stay healthy and safe. May this year, 2021, be the beginning of better days for the world at large. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm your host and producer, Mitzi Rapkin. Thank you for listening.